months ago, one of our new members, John Mutranowski, uh, told me he was working on something, and John's an artist. He does a lot of different stuff, and so he said he wanted to do something for the church, and so he spent hours working on this. Is there not a, a better message than the cross of Christ? So let's thank John very much for doing this. I appreciate it very much. So today is Father's Day, and certainly we want to celebrate and champion our fathers and thank them for all the things that they do for us. Uh, and I see that some of you have your kids with you, so I know it's a, a special day. But our focus today is going to be on the Father's Day, right? And so we're going to be uh, starting a new sermon series on the Ten Commandments. And I want to kind of give you a little bit of a heads up. I'm going to get this series started, and I'm going to wrap it up. But I'm stacking up some vacation. I'm going to take some time off during the month of July. So I'm going to miss you guys, uh, but y'all are going to be in good hands. You've got some homegrown talent that's going to fill in. Then i got two of my preaching buddies that are also going to come in. So be nice to them in particular. Uh, but I'll be returning on August the 8th, and that's all. Also the date, uh, to mark on your calendars, that's our first time that we're going to be offering in-person classes. Can we give a thank you to God that we're going to be able to do that? Yes. So uh, all of our kids' classes, youth classes, and adult classes will be cranking up on August the 8th. Uh, Jill and I are hoping to see a lot while we're gone over this time, but uh, three places in particular, we're going to go to see some of the stops on Paul's missionary journey. And one that I'm in particular inter interested in is Corinth, because our plans for the fall is for us to have a, a big series on Paul's first letter uh, to the Corinthians. So be praying for us. We'll be praying for you, but we're going to miss you, but you're going to be in good hands. Well, the Ten Commandments is, is actually listed in two separate places. The first is Exodus chapter 20, where if you want to turn, that's where we're going to be uh, this morning. And that's where God's people have been, are, have been delivered, taken up to Mount Sinai, and God gives them this list of commands. And the second time that this list is, is also recited is Deuteronomy chapter 5, when Moses is reminding the Israelites, hey, you're going to get, you're going to go into the promised land, and I want you to remember the covenant that you've made with your heavenly father. And let's go through this list one more time, because it will go well for you as you enter into this new land that you remember this promise that you've made and that you live as a covenant people with your heavenly father. So I want us to focus this morning on Exodus chapter 20. So let, let's read these first three verses. And God spoke all of these words. Just, just imagine, listen to this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that through your spirit over the course of this summer, Lord, that you would teach us from your word. Lord, I, I pray over the next 10 weeks that hearts would be changed, that we would learn how to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to you. Lord, may my words fall to the ground and your words remain. And I pray that you will transform us to look more and more like your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, when you hear the word Ten Commandments, there are a lot of things that maybe you would hear growing up if you grew up in the church, or if you didn't, maybe you'd hear some other things. When you 
speak about the Ten Commandments out in the marketplace, a lot of people think about the 2005 Supreme Court ruling that basically the Supreme Court justices, in all their wisdom, came up and said that um, citing the Establishment Clause in the First Amendment that it prohibits government from supporting one religion over another. And they said, uh, for us to have the Ten Commandments in our courthouses kind of puts a thumb on the scale saying that we are going all in with this. And so we're asking that you remove the Ten Commandments from the courthouses. How many of y'all remember this? Uh, what a lot of people don't remember is in that same ruling, they said you've got to remove those out of the courthouses, but they did a special exception for the state of Texas stating you can keep your Ten Commandments at the state capitol. How many of y'all knew that? So go Texas and go God, right? And this is kind of God's place. So yeah, it's, it's awesome. So all this was happening. But if we're talking about the Ten Commandments, I think there are some questions that we need to address before we just go plowing off into these. And so today I want to kind of set up the series in, by addressing some of these questions. And the first question that I think we need to, to ask is, what is the purpose of the Ten Commandments? And what purpose does it play within our society? And would it be right to kind of plop them into the courthouse and expect that people would come in, see these, and go, oh, okay, and that they're going to start living in this way? And, and can we enforce that? I mean, you know, is there an expectation? You know, can they be understood apart from a covenant relationship with God? People would just come in and go, you know what, that's a great idea. I'm going to start living in this way. And so question number two is, should there be penalties for breaking the Ten Commands? What do you think? Well, sh murder, sure. What about coveting? How do you know someone's been coveting? And yeah, how do you police that? I know what you're thinking. And boy, yeah, I, I, how do you do coveting? I, I don't know. Uh, what do you do about this one God thing? I mean, we live in kind of a pluralistic society. Can you... You know, mandate only one God at a time? I mean, how do we do that? And so we have to kind of wrestle with what is the place of the Ten Commandments in our greater world around us? And then uh, another question I think we need to address and get out there, for a lot, of question, a lot of Christians, they question, should we even be studying part of the law? That if you've got, you know, two dispensations, you know, and you, you've got the First Testament and you've got the Second Testament. And the First Testament is all about the law and this uh, covenant that was made. And, you know, that the, the law was uh, impossible for everyone to keep. And so, boy, we don't really like that. And so we like the New Testament where Jesus comes in. It's all about grace and mercy and forgiveness. We're like, hey, sign me up for that and let's get rid of this. Andy Stanley is one of my favorite preachers, but he got himself into a little bit of hot water uh, a few months ago when he said, you know what, for the sake of evangelism, I wish we could just unhitch from the Old Testament. We, we could just let that go because when people start asking or have objections to Christianity, they point to a lot of stuff in the Old Testament. So let's just unhitch from that. And boy, we'll be free to go and tell just the Jesus story. Well, I think this is problematic for a lot of reasons. 
Number one, that's not what we see all the apostles and Jesus doing in the, in the New Testament. In fact, they refer back to and they talk about a lot of the different stories that we know of and say, let's see how that points to the Jesus story. And it even... Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, tells us not to do that. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's not what I'm trying to do. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus is like, yes, what was impossible for mankind, I have completed. And, and because I have fulfilled the law to the T, I'm going to be able to be the person to reconcile you back to your heavenly father. So there's good news that's built upon this. And when uh, Jesus comes back from the dead, you remember he's walking down the road on the road to Emmaus, and he starts talking with a couple of disciples that hadn't heard the good news, they knew the bad news about Jesus dying. They didn't know he had raised, been raised from the dead. And so he reveals through scripture, the scriptures they had missed all of the things that pointed to this moment in time. So I think it's important that we study and understand our first testament because it points us to the good news that we see in the New Testament. Okay, question number four. There's 613 laws in the first five books of the Bible that we call the Pentateuch. Are these 10 more important than the other 603? Yes, I, I, I think they are. Because if you think about it, there's enormous buildup to the presentation of the Ten Commandments. If you think about it, God delivers his people from, from Pharaoh and slavery after 400 years. And so he leads them and he frees them and then he leads them out into the desert. If you remember, he's leading them out, and he has this, this big cloud that they follow around, you know, during the day. Oh, it stopped. Okay, okay. Oh, it's going again. You know, and so they follow the cloud, and then by night, they'd follow a pillar of fire. Yeah. So they're, they're going. They're like, wake up, honey. The fire's moving. Okay. And they grab their stuff, and off they go. Because God was in control, and God was leading them. And so they're, they're, there they go. Then they march through the Red Sea. And, you know, Pharaoh's army gets, you know, swallowed up by that. Just incredible. And he leads him to the base of Mount Sinai. He says, don't, don't, don't go up yet. Okay, Moses, I want you to come up on the day that I come down. Well, how are you going to know? How are we going to know that you're on there? He goes, no, you'll know. Just get the folks ready. And so they bathed up. He says, no sexual relations and all this stuff. We just want to focus on God. Get your family ready. Get your house in order. God's coming to town. And so on that day, they're like, oh, he's there. Because a big cloud comes down. and You've got thunder and lightning and fire. And they're like, oh. And so God says, Moses, it's time to come up. And Moses is like, are you sure, Lord? <laughs> yeah, come on up. And so Moses starts making his way up the mountain. And the first thing God says is, hold, hold on. Moses, I want you to go back down. I just got up here. I know. Go back down and remind the people there's a holy mountain and I'm on it now. So don't even touch the mountain. It, it will not be good. You want me to go back down? You go back and warn the people. If you want to bring Aaron up so you can see this, it'd be great. Maybe Joshua. Oh, okay. But go down to warn the people because this is now holy 
ground. Okay, I've been there, burning bush. Yeah, and so this whole buildup, and so he finally comes up there, and the very hand of God chisels these out of stone. Just amazing. Okay, so if these are special, why were these Ten Commandments chosen over the rest? Jesus later would boil down the Ten Commandments into just two. One is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the Ten Commandments are almost like drop-down screens from that and that it helps us to understand. And so each tablet, uh, we see a lot of tablets that have the first five over here, second five. I, I believe it was the first four and the last six. So the first tablet is understanding how do we love God. And so it's love the Lord your God only and don't mix any idols. Don't take his name in vain. And carve out one day a week, every Sabbath, just you and God. Trust him. Develop this covenant relationship. And so the other tablet had the other six on it. And so what were on those? Well, that's how you love your neighbor. Okay, so the first thing is don't kill your neighbor. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, what else? Well, don't steal from your neighbor. Don't lie to your neighbor. Don't steal your neighbor's spouse. Don't even cover what, uh, covet what they have, okay, and, and honor your, your folks as well. And so this becomes a way for, okay, vertical regard, horizontal with mankind. Okay, so we got these two sets. So that's what they're doing. And so the, the Ten Commandments are not exhaustive, but they, they point us in the right direction. So if we only had these, it gives us a really good start to get going, doesn't it? And, and, and helping us develop this relationship with God, but also understanding how we interact with our fellow man. Some of you know the, the joys of, of taking your children out to teach them how to drive. Uh, how many of you taught your kids how to drive uh, before they actually went to the course and learned stuff? Okay. Yeah, so some of you country, you know, the, you know, kids start driving when they're about four, right, out in the country, you know. And so you have to teach them the different signs. So the, the first one, octagon, that's stop. Don't go charging through. If you're getting onto the freeway, there's a big triangle, and that sign is Yield, yeah, and so you yield as you merge on, right? And, and so these are, are pretty important signs. Uh, and then there's one that is the mile per hour, and that's kind of how fast you go. It's kind of a suggestion here in Texas, right? Okay, and, and one that if you've been on uh, I-35, uh, it's, you're supposed to pass on the left. Now everyone parks it in the left. You, you have to go around the right. It frustrates me. Okay, but these are not restrictive. Or at least they, they shouldn't be viewed that way. It, it's a common set of guidelines for how we can all be on the same roads, going in different places, and hopefully everyone get there safely. And so that's how we should view these commands as, man, they're not restrictive. As God's saying, if you'll learn to live this way, boy, your life is going to be so much better. And wh where would we be as a society if everyone, uh, okay, we're going to disagree on some stuff, but everyone, can we do the Ten Commandments? Yeah. Can you imagine what this world would look like if everyone says, sign me up for that? Can you imagine all the things we wouldn't have to deal with? Can you imagine all the heartache that would no longer be a part? And God says, 
That's the blessing that I want. So as we go through this series and start unwrapping this and start understanding these different commands, I want us to think about what this means for our life. But I also want us to think about what it means for this community and what it means for this community around us. That if we are covenant people with God, what it means that us and God have an understanding and we're going to live this way out, even if no one else around us is, Boy, that's how we become salt. That's how we become light. Okay, but even this, we still have some questions. Okay, um, commandment number six, thou shall not kill. In all situations, uh, literally in Hebrew, we'll see that it means unsanctioned killing. Well, what about war? And, and what if you don't believe in that war? You know, well, what do you do about, boy, it, it's kind of confusing. What about that? Is it killed no, no matter what? Well, what about self-defense? It, it's not covered in the list. You know, first, uh, the, the Ten Commandments are first listed in Exodus chapter 20. And so that's, those are the commandments. Well, Exodus chapter 21 kind of helps us fill in some of those gaps. It, it's almost like case law. He's like, I understand we've got these commands. Now, let me kind of anticipate some things you're going to deal with. Or, or maybe Moses is writing this after the fact. Okay, remember what happened over here? Let's get into that. And so God inspires him with some case law to help us understand how better to understand these things. Okay, so basically the, it applies to Ten Commandments to all the various situations. So what about self-defense? A little pop quiz here. See how well you, you know your First Testament. Is it sanctioned to kill someone breaking into your home? Raise your hand if you think yes. Okay. How many of you say no? You can't. Okay, we, we got a lot that are undecided here. Let's try this again. You got two choices. How many of you think yes, you can kill someone breaking into your home? Raise your hand. How many of you say no, you cannot? Okay, you're both right and you're both wrong. Because what, what happens in here is, well, the law says yes if they're breaking in at night. You don't know what's going on. You don't know their, your intent. So, yeah, take them out. Okay, what if, they, what if they're trying to get in during the day? Then it's no. It's, an, it's not sanctioned. It's not murder. Maybe you can tell who it is. And you can escape and go, well, so-and-so came into my house. And I don't know what they were doing, but they, they were running off my TV. Okay, probably not TV. But anyway, but yeah, so uh, it, it can't be confirmed, but some later rabbis uh, kind of jotted down that says, if you do kill an intruder during the day, drag their corpse inside, put a rug over it, and report it the next morning. So just, just a little help. It can't be confirmed, but just a thought. Well, what about commandment number four? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And, and so to do this, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, right? So we've got a lot of lawbreakers out there. Okay, uh, what if your neighbor's ox falls into a ditch on the Sabbath? Is it work to go help get this ox out? How many of y'all think, yeah, it's work, you shouldn't do it? Okay, how many of you said, no, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah, in, in fact, it, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 22, it says it's okay, go get the ox out. It's part of their livelihood, so, man, don't leave the poor ox in there. They're going to need it the next day as you start. So go do this. And J Jesus tells us the same thing in Luke chapter 14. Well, what if it's a dog and it falls into the ditch? 
uh, do you have to wait a whole day to get your pup out? Well, I, I don't know. I, I guess you could extrapolate because they didn't have thousands and thousands of laws. So maybe if it's a herding dog and you're a shepherd and that's part of your livelihood and, you know, it serves a purpose, you know, would it be all right? Yeah, I think go ahead and get the dog out. What about a cat? Um, you know, though it wasn't included in the original text, there was a scribe that jotted the answer in the margin on, as he's doing the, the books. He says, whether Sabbath day or any other day, leave the cat in the ditch. It serves no purpose. Okay, I know I just bought myself 20 texts and emails. Bring it on. All you cat people, you've done it before. It was kind of worth it for me. All right. But if your particular situation is not covered on commands or, or case laws, what do we do? How do we still allow this to be useful? Well, we have the law of love that God sent forth his son into the world. That, boy, God's word became flesh and dwelt among us. So if we don't have a specific thing of how do I interpret this, how do Jesus do stuff? Let's do more Jesus stuff and interpret that. And so we also have the Holy Spirit that's intended to guide us. And then, you know, we also have Jesus' teaching on the Ten Commandments. Did the bar go up or down with Jesus' teaching on the Ten Commandments? They went up, I'm telling you. Okay, so what, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27? He said, you've heard it said when you went to Bible class growing up, You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That seed's been planted. It may not have grown up into adultery, but boy, you've got to back off from that. Okay, so in this and other passages with the same structure, Jesus is moving us away from this single idea of, of simple obedience to kind of upward into a spiritual encounter with God. And so these are some resources that we have. Jesus teaching the Spirit and the law of love filtering things through the love of Jesus Christ that help us to determine how do I live these things out. Okay, so all that is set up for the rest of our series on the commandments. So let's look at our first one today, and we'll have to kind of finish up a little bit next week. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 3 says this, And God spoke all these words, I'm the Lord your God, brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I have no other gods before me. So verse 2 really provides the motivation for us. It kind of lays a foundation for us assessing what's going on. And that's what God has done on our behalf, is that God rescues us from slavery. That God demonstrates his love first. And, and this becomes the lens through which we look at life. And it becomes the lens through which we view what God's telling us to do. We don't bristle up at God's commands because we know he loves us. We don't reject this lifestyle because we know what God has given for us, right? So it becomes this motivation for us. And God says, I am Yahweh, your God. It's not, hey, I'm God. Watch what I can do if you don't do this. You better do it because I am God. 
No, it's, I'm your God. Live into this because I, I desire a relationship with you. And I want your life to go well. So this isn't designed to be restrictive. It's just a way for us to live in this covenant relationship. And just as I delivered the Israelites from their bondage and slavery, haven't I already done that for you as well? Did you have any power to get out of the slavery of sin that Satan had you in? If you look at the Israelites, did they buy their way out? No. Did they think their way out? Not a clue. 400 years they sat there just powerless. Uh, did, did they work their way out? No, no. They were stuck, enslaved to their masters until God sent a deliverer. Isn't that our story as well? Amen, church. Isn't it? That's our story. We were stuck in slavery, but God sent us to deliver. Not just Moses. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to be our redeemer, our rescuer. Notice that God didn't give the, the people ten commands and tell them, hey, all right, this is how it's going to be. If you and I are going to be in relationship, I want you to do this. And then if you do these well and put my plan into action, then I'm going to step in and get you out of Egypt. That's not how it works. And that's not how it works for us either, right? No, God says, let me demonstrate my love for you right now. And let me demonstrate how much I want to be with you, but give my only son. And then I want you to live in response to that. You know, every year since 1973, ABC has broadcast the Charlton Heston movie, Ten Commandments. Except one year, 1999, they tried to move away from it, and there was a huge nationwide outcry against ABC. And they're like, fine, we'll put it back in. But it, it's not just out of duty or, or some charity they're doing it. What they also realized is, is, man, it's a kind of a ratings bonanza that a lot of folks still tune in to watch this. I know it kind of dates us, but it's still part of relevant culture because people still watch it at Easter time. And so it's, it's pretty cool. But what's interesting is if you're watching this Ten Commandments movie, it's three hours and 40 minutes long. Three hours and 40 minutes long. When did the Ten Commandments come in? Well, it's, it's not until later. Cecil B. DeMille based the movie on the book, The Prince of Egypt. So it was supposed to be more about Pharaoh. But he said, no, this is more about God and his people. So he changed the title to the Ten Commandments. But the tablets of stone don't get cut into the rock to the very end. It, in fact, I was like nine before I actually got to see it because my kids and my parents keep maybe going, you know, they're still stuck in Egypt, you know, until I was eight, you know. And so toward the end, that's where God comes in. And so the story was about what God did for his people and how much he cared for them to bring them out to then give them this covenant relationship. So God saves us first and then gives us instructions on how to live. God's like, I, I want you to realize those chains, they're gone. Now you can return and go put them back on, but let me give you some commands. Let, let me kind of set up some parameters that will help you live into this freedom. It, it's not exchanging one form of bondage for another. It's, I'm cutting you loose here, but I want you to not return to the sin that, that so easily entangles us. 
let's figure out what it means to live in the presence of God. So that's what these commands help us to do. Martin Luther believed that putting God first in life was crucial. And what he ended up saying is, before we start looking at the other nine, he goes, even though the ten are more powerful than the other 603, he goes, you got to realize this first one is more important than the others. Because what happens is, if we get this God and us figured out, he goes, the rest of these are going to fall in line, aren't they? Here's just a little t- uh, helpful tip. W- when I'm struggling with my fellow man, it's usually because this isn't going well. When I pushed off my time with God and started spilling out into other six commands. And so we need to realize these things are connected. But here's what Luther said. He said, a God is that to which we look for all good in which we find refuge in every time of need. To have God is nothing else than to trust and believe him with our whole heart. As I've often said, the trust and faith of the heart alone makes both God and idol. If your faith and trust are right, then your God is the true God. On the other hand, if your trust is false and wrong, then you have not the true God. For these two belong together, faith and God. That to which your heart clings and it trusts itself, I say, is really your God. I, I have a little uh, thing at the gym that I do that's uh, a little elliptical thing where the pedals go up and down. And, and so it's, it, it keeps you on the deal, but it also has a heart rhythm. And so uh, I guess that's kind of baked into the little paddles that, you know, it, it resonates on this. And then so, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll grab a towel to wipe off or I'll grab a water. Well, when I take my hand off, the machine goes, whoa, whoa, you've died. You have no more heart rate, Right. But isn't that kind of what happens? That when we reach for something other than God, we don't keep our hand on this. We're having to let go and grab a hold of something else. What Luther is saying is, don't get off on this. You need to realize, if you keep your hands here, you're not going to be able to, to venture out and break these other commands. This is what's crucial, church, is that we put God first and these commands will fall in place after it. There's only one God, and his name is Yahweh. And he's your God. You know, we're kind of, uh, we understand this whole monotheistic thing. We need to realize how earth-shattering this was at the time. Because no other culture, no other people, and no other time says, so tell me about your gods. Well, we only have one. You have one? Yeah, but he can beat up all of yours, which we'll see next week with the Egyptians, right? You've only got one? Yeah, he handles everything. Well, what about the crops? Yeah, he's got that covered. What about fertility? Yeah, he does that too. And so everything gets put into one basket, our Heavenly Father, Yahweh. But this Man, it was just earth-shattering at the time, but he demands our total allegiance, and he demands our absolute dependence upon him. But here's where a lot of people get off track. They understand that, and they view God as a tyrant. God's demanding. 
Yeah, he's rescued me, but boy, he sure is demanding. If, if I can move you away from tyrant to another image, and this is going to sound weird, think of God as not a tyrant, but a lover. He's a lover. Language is one of covenant, and you shall have no other. This is what is said in marriage ceremonies today and back then as well. What God is inviting us into is not a uh, master-servant. It's a covenant. It's a love relationship that we have with someone that demonstrates his love. You know, sometimes when when a couple's dating, you're like, well, should I say it first or should, but you know, I don't know if he's ever going to say it. I better say it. And and so you go back and forth on this. God says, no, I'm going to tell you, I love you. I love you, and, and I want you to come into a relationship with me. I'm willing to give you my most precious possession. That's my son, Jesus, to show you how much I love you. But I want us to have a covenant, a covenant that cannot be broken, and a covenant that is exclusive. I don't want anyone to be able to look at your life and say, well, he's crazy about this. I want them to say he's crazy about God. She's crazy about Jesus. That is what their life is about. There's no confusion there. No one is wondering because that is their lover. That is that covenant relationship. And God says, I want an exclusive marriage with you in which we'll have no other. So God saved us. He loved us. And God says, don't bring another into our relationship. I want the nations around to see how much I'm blessing you so you can be a light into the nations. But if the nations are looking in going, okay, you say you've got one God, but you're also grabbing stuff here, grabbing stuff there. Why would I go worship this powerful God if you're grabbing other things? And I wonder if people in the marketplace are wondering that about us. Okay, yeah, it's important, but I'm also seeing some other things that are also important. No, it needs to be very clear Man, this is our one thing. So the first commandment sets the stage for others. You know, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 3. God says, I've rescued you. I loved you. And listen to the imagery that he describes. This powerful God. He said, I'm like an eagle that swoops in, put you under my wings, and brought you to myself. Just power and love brought in that God can rescue us from any situation. That he loves us beyond belief and he desires relationship. He'll swoop in and grab us and bring us because he wants this relationship. He says, I'm doing this not for my glory, but I'm doing this because I love you. We respond to God's glory, but God says, I want this relationship. I want you for myself. So God desires a special relationship with you and a special relationship with me. We're his people. And because we're his people, we view his commands differently. The psalmist tells us in Psalms 112 and verse 1 that I delight, I delight in the commands of God because I know how much he loves me. I know what he's done for me. I know how he's rescued me. He is my provider, my sole provider. 
He's the one I turn to. He's the one I pray to. He is the one that has demonstrated like mile markers on the, the highway of my life. I can point back, God was here. Well, God pulled me out here. I went through a long season, but God was there carrying me through this. God has been faithful. And so we delight in the commands of God because we yearn to be in the presence of God. We yearn to become more like his son Jesus because we don't want anything to remove us from the holiness of God's presence. And we want so desperately to draw closer to him as we rid ourselves over the course of our life. Any of the things, any of the commands that we break that would keep us from taking one step closer to our heavenly father. So the question for you this morning is, which way is your life walking? Are you walking closer to your Heavenly Father? My prayer for us this summer is that each of us will memorize these commands, that we'll write them upon our heart, that it becomes second nature, that we can just recite all ten, because they mean something to us. Our Heavenly Father means something to us, and we're reacting to what He's done in our lives And I hope that each one of us will recommit ourselves to this covenant relationship with God. But as we do every Sunday, we want to offer an invitation for those that haven't done this, that haven't said, I'm in with God. I want to join in that covenant relationship. And so we want to give you an opportunity. If you want to respond to the saving message of Jesus, God acts first. He just asks us to recognize that and say, I want Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. If you want to do that this morning, come down as we stand and as we sing. Months ago, one of our new members, John Mutranowski, uh, told me he was working on something. And John's an artist. He does a lot of different stuff. And so he said he wanted to do something for the church. And so he spent hours working on this. Is there not a, a better message than the cross of Christ? So let's thank John very much for doing this. I appreciate it very much. So today is Father's Day, and certainly we want to celebrate and champion our fathers and thank them for all the things that they do for us. Uh, And I see that some of you have your kids with you, so I know it's a a special day. But our focus today is going to be on the Father's Day, right? And so we're going to be uh, starting a new sermon series on the Ten Commandments. And I want to kind of give you a little bit of a heads up. I'm going to get this series started, and I'm going to wrap it up. And I'm stacking up some vacation. I'm going to take some time off during the month of July. So I'm going to miss you guys, uh, but y'all are going to be in good hands. You've got some homegrown talent that's going to fill in. Then i got two of my preaching buddies that are also going to come in. So be nice to them in particular. Uh, but I'll be returning on August the 8th, and that's also also the date, uh, to mark on your calendars, that's our first time that we're going to be offering in-person classes. Can we give a thank you to God that we're going to be able to do that? Yes. So uh, all of our kids' classes, youth classes, and adult classes will be cranking up on August the 8th. Uh, Jill and I are hoping to see a lot while we're gone over this time, but uh, three places in particular, we're going to go to see some of the stops on Paul's missionary journey. And one that I'm in particular interested in is Corinth, because our plans for the fall is for us to have a a big series on Paul's first letter uh, to the Corinthians. So be praying for us, we'll be praying for you, but we're going to miss you, but you're going to be in good hands. 
Well, the Ten Commandments is, is actually listed in two separate places. The first is Exodus chapter 20, where if you want to turn, that's where we're going to be uh, this morning. And that's where God's people have been, are, have been delivered, taken up to Mount Sinai, and God gives them this list of commands. And the second time that this list is, is also recited is Deuteronomy chapter 5, when Moses is reminding the Israelites, hey, you're going to get, you're going to go into the promised land, and I want you to remember the covenant that you've made with your heavenly Father. And let's go through this list one more time, because it will go well for you as you enter into this new land that you remember this promise that you've made, and that you live as a covenant people with your heavenly Father. So I want us to focus this morning on Exodus chapter 20. So let, let's read these first three verses. And God spoke all of these words. Just, just imagine, listen to this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that through your spirit over the course of this summer, Lord, that you would teach us from your word. Lord, I, I pray over the next 10 weeks that hearts would be changed, that we would learn how to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to you. Lord, may my words fall to the ground and your words remain. And I pray that you will transform us to look more and more like your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, when you hear the word Ten Commandments, there are a lot of things that maybe you would hear growing up if you grew up in the church, or if you didn't, maybe you'd hear some other things. When you speak about the Ten Commandments out in the marketplace, a lot of people think about the 2005 Supreme Court ruling that basically the Supreme Court justices, in all their wisdom, came up and said that um, citing the Establishment Clause in the First Amendment that it prohibits government from supporting one religion over another. And they said, uh, for us to have the Ten Commandments in our courthouses kind of puts a thumb on the scale saying that we are going all in with this. And so we're asking that you remove the Ten Commandments from the courthouses. How many of y'all remember this? Uh, what a lot of people don't remember is in that same ruling, they said you've got to remove those out of the courthouses, but they did a special exception for the state of Texas stating you can keep your Ten Commandments at the state capitol. How many of y'all knew that? So go Texas and go God, right? And this is kind of God's place. So yeah, it's, it's awesome. So all this was happening. But if we're talking about the Ten Commandments, I think there are some questions that we need to address before we just go plowing off into these. And so today I want to kind of set up the series in, by addressing some of these questions. And the first question that I think we need to, to ask is, what is the purpose of the Ten Commandments? And what purpose does it play within our society? And would it be right to kind of plop them into the courthouse and expect that people would come in, see these, and go, oh, okay, and that they're going to start living in this way? And, and can we enforce that? I mean, you know, is there an expectation? You know, can they be understood apart from a covenant relationship with God? 
People just come in and go, you know what? That's a great idea. I'm going to start living in this way. And so question number two is, should there be penalties for breaking the Ten Commands? What do you think? Well, sh murder, sure. What about coveting? How do you know someone's been coveting? And yeah, how do you police that? I know what you're thinking. And boy, yeah, I, I, how do you do coveting? I, I don't know. Uh, what do you do about this one God thing? I mean, we live in kind of a pluralistic society. Can you, you know, mandate only one God at a time? I mean, how, how do we do that? And so we have to kind of wrestle with what is the place of the Ten Commandments in our greater world around us? And then uh, another question I think we need to address and get out there for a lot of questions, a lot of Christians, they question, should we even be studying part of the law? That if you've got, you know, two dispensations, you know, and you, you've got the First Testament and you've got the Second Testament. And the First Testament is all about the law and this uh, covenant that was made and, you know, that the law was uh, impossible for everyone to keep. And so, boy, we don't really like that. And so we like the New Testament where Jesus comes in. It's all about grace and mercy and forgiveness. We're like, hey, sign me up for that and let's get rid of this. Andy Stanley is one of my favorite preachers, but he got himself into a little bit of hot water uh, a few months ago when he said, you know what, for the sake of evangelism, I wish we could just unhitch from the Old Testament. We, we could just let that go because when people start asking or have objections to Christianity, they point to a lot of stuff in the Old Testament. So let's just unhitch from that. Boy, we'll be free to go and tell just the Jesus story. Well, I think this is problematic for a lot of reasons. Number one, that's not what we see all the apostles and Jesus doing in the, in the New Testament. In fact, they refer back to and they talk about a lot of the different stories that we know of and say, let's see how that points to the Jesus story. And even Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17 tells us not to do that. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's not what I'm trying to do. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus is like, yes, what was impossible for mankind, I have completed. And, and because I have fulfilled the law to the T, I'm going to be able to be the person to reconcile you back to your heavenly father. So there's good news that's built upon this. And when uh, Jesus comes back from the dead, you remember he's walking down the road on the road to Emmaus, and he starts talking with a couple of disciples that hadn't heard the good news, they knew the bad news about Jesus dying. They didn't know he had raised, been raised from the dead. And so he reveals through Scripture, the Scriptures they had missed, all of the things that pointed to this moment in time. So I think it's important that we study and understand our First Testament because it points us to the good news that we see in the New Testament. Okay, question number four. There's 613 laws in the first five books of the Bible that we call the Pentateuch. Are these 10 more important than the other 603? Yes, 
I, I, I think they are. Because if you think about it, there's an enormous buildup to the presentation of the Ten Commandments. If you think about it, God delivers his people from, from Pharaoh and slavery after 400 years. And so he leads them and he frees them. And then he leads them out into the desert. If you remember, he's leading them out, and he has this, this big cloud that they follow around, you know, during the day. Oh, it stopped. Okay, okay. Oh, it's going again. You know, and so they follow the cloud, and then by night, they'd follow a pillar of fire. Yeah. So they're, they're going. They're like, wake up, honey. The fire's moving. Okay. And they grab their stuff, and off they go. Because God was in control, and God was leading them. And so they're, they're, there they go. Then they march through the Red Sea. And, you know, Pharaoh's army gets, you know, swallowed up by that. Just incredible. And he leads him to the base of Mount Sinai. He says, don't, don't, don't go up yet. Okay, Moses, I want you to come up on the day that I come down. Well, how are you going to know? How are we going to know that you're on there? He goes, no, you'll know. Just get the folks ready. And so they bathed up. He says, no sexual relations and all this stuff. We just want to focus on God. Get your family ready. Get your house in order. God's coming to town. And so on that day, they're like, oh, he's there. Because a big cloud comes down. And you've got thunder and lightning and fire. And they're like, oh. And so God says, Moses, it's time to come up. And Moses is like, are you sure, Lord? <laughs> yeah, come on up. And so Moses starts making his way up the mountain. And the first thing God says is, hold, hold on. Moses, I want you to go back down. I just got up here. I know. Go back down and remind the people there's a holy mountain and I'm on it now. So don't even touch the mountain. It, it will not be good. You want me to go back down? You go back and warn the people. If you want to bring Aaron up so you can see this, it'd be great. Maybe Joshua. Oh, okay. But go down to warn the people because this is now holy ground. Okay, I've been there, burning bush. Yeah, and so this whole buildup. And so he finally comes up there, and the very hand of God chisels these out of stone. Just amazing. Okay, so if these are special, why were these Ten Commandments chosen over the rest? Jesus later would boil down the Ten Commandments into just two. One is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the Ten Commandments are almost like drop-down screens from that and that it helps us to understand. And so, each tablet, uh, we see a lot of tablets that have the first five over here, second five. I, I believe it was the first four and the last six. So the first tablet is understanding how do we love God. And so it's love the Lord your God only and, and don't mix any idols. Do, don't take his name in vain. And, and carve out one day a week, every Sabbath, just you and God. Trust him. Develop this covenant relationship. And so the other tablet had the other six on it. And so what were on those? Well, that's how you love your neighbor. Okay? So the first thing is don't kill your neighbor. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, what else? Well, don't steal from your neighbor. Don't lie to your neighbor. Don't steal your neighbor's spouse. Don't even cover what, uh, covet what they have. Okay? And, and honor your, your folks as well. And so this becomes a way for, okay, vertical regard horizontal with mankind. Okay, so we got these two sets. So that's what they're doing. And so the, the Ten Commandments are not exhaustive, but they, they point us in the right direction. So if we only had these, 
it gives us a really good start to get going, doesn't it? And, and, and helping us develop this relationship with God, but also understanding how we interact with our fellow man. Some of you know the, the joys of, of taking your children out to teach them how to drive. Uh, how many of you taught your kids how to drive uh, before they actually went to the course and learned stuff? Okay. Yeah, some of you country, you know, the, you know, kids start driving when they're about four, right, out in the country, you know. And so you have to teach them the different signs. So the, the first one, octagon, that's stop, don't go charging through. If you're getting onto the freeway, there's a big triangle, and that sign is yield. Yeah, and so you yield as you merge on, right? And, and so these are, are pretty important signs. Uh, and then there's one that is the mile per hour, and that's kind of how fast you go. It's kind of a suggestion here in Texas, right? Okay. And, and one that if you've been on uh, I-35, uh, it's, you're supposed to pass on the left. Now everyone parks it in the left. You, you have to go around the right. It frustrates me. Okay, but these are not restrictive, or at least they shouldn't be viewed that way. It, it's a common set of guidelines for how we can all be on the same roads, going in different places, and hopefully everyone get there safely. And so that's how we should view these commands as, man, they're not restrictive. As God's saying, if you'll learn to live this way, boy, your life is going to be so much better. And wh where would we be as a society if everyone, uh, okay, we're going to disagree on some stuff, but everyone, can we do the Ten Commandments? Yeah. Can you imagine what this world would look like if everyone says, sign me up for that? Can you imagine all the things we wouldn't have to deal with? Can you imagine all the heartache that would no longer be a part? And God says, that's the blessing that I want. So as we go through this series and start unwrapping this and start understanding these different commands, I want us to think about what this means for our life. But I also want us to think about what it means for this community and what it means for this community around us. That if we are covenant people with God, what it means that us and God have an understanding and we're going to live this way out, even if no one else around us is. Boy, that's how we become salt. That's how we become light. Okay, but even this, we still have some questions. Okay, um, commandment number six, thou shall not kill. In all situations... Uh, literally in Hebrew, we'll see that it means unsanctioned killing. Well, what about war? And, and what if you don't believe in that war? You know, well, what do you do about, boy, it, it's kind of confusing. What about that? Is it killed no, no matter what? Well, what about self-defense? It, it's not covered in the list. You know, first, uh, the, the Ten Commandments are first listed in Exodus chapter 20. And so that's, those are the commandments. Exodus chapter 21 kind of helps us fill in some of those gaps. It, it's almost like case law. He's like, I understand we've got these commands. Now let me kind of anticipate some things you're going to deal with. Or, or maybe Moses is writing this after the fact. Okay, remember what happened over here? Let's get into that. And so God inspires him with some case law to help us understand how better to understand these things. Okay, so basically, it applies to Ten Commandments to all the various situations. So what about self-defense? A little pop quiz here. See how well you know your First Testament. 
is it sanctioned to kill someone breaking into your home? Raise your hand if you think yes. Okay? How many of you say no? You can't. Okay, we got a lot that are undecided here. Let's try this again. You got two choices. How many of you think, yes, you can kill someone breaking into your home? Raise your hand. How many of you say, no, you cannot? Okay, you're both right and you're both wrong. Because what, what happens in here is, well, the law says, yes, if they're breaking in at night. You don't know what's going on. You don't know their, your intent. So, yeah, take them out. Okay, what if, they, what if they're trying to get in during the day? Then it's no, it's, an, it's not sanctioned, it's not murder. Maybe you can tell who it is, and you can escape and go, well, so-and-so came into my house, and I don't know what they were doing, but they, they were running off of my TV. Okay, probably not TV. But anyway, but yeah, so uh, it, it can't be confirmed, but some later rabbis uh, kind of jotted down that says, if you do kill an intruder during the day, drag their corpse inside, put a rug over it, and report it the next morning. So just, just a little help. I can't be confirmed, but it's just a thought. Well, what about commandment number four? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And, and so to do this, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, right? So we've got a lot of lawbreakers out there. Okay, uh, what if your neighbor's ox falls into a ditch on the Sabbath? Is it work to go help get this ox out? How many of y'all think, yeah, it's work, you shouldn't do it? okay. How many of you said, no, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah, in, in fact, it, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 22, it says it's okay, go get the ox out. It's part of their livelihood. So, man, don't leave the poor ox in there. They're going to need it the next day as you start. So go do this. And G Jesus tells us the same thing in Luke chapter 14. Well, what if it's a dog and it falls into the ditch? Uh, do you have to wait a whole day to get your pup out? Well, I... I don't know. I, I guess you could extrapolate because they didn't have thousands and thousands of laws. So maybe if it's a herding dog and you're a shepherd and that's part of your livelihood and, you know, it serves a purpose, you know, would it be all right? Yeah, I think go ahead and get the dog out. What about a cat? Um, you know, though it wasn't included in the original text, there was a scribe that jotted the answer in the margin on, as he's doing the, the books. He says, whether Sabbath day or any other day, leave the cat in the ditch. It serves no purpose. Okay, I know I just bought myself 20 texts and emails. Bring it on. All you cat people, you've done it before. It was kind of worth it for me. All right. But if your particular situation is not covered on commands or, or case laws, what do we do? How do we still allow this to be useful? Well, we have the law of love that God sent forth his son into the world. That, boy, God's word became flesh and dwelt among us. So if we don't have a specific thing of how do I interpret this, how do Jesus do stuff? Let's do more Jesus stuff and interpret that. And so we also have the Holy Spirit that's intended to guide us. And then, you know, we also have Jesus teaching on the Ten Commandments. Did the bar go up or down with Jesus teaching on the Ten Commandments? They went up, I'm telling you. Okay, so what, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27? He said, you've heard it said when you went to Bible class growing up, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, 
that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That seed's been planted. It may not have grown up into adultery, but boy, you've got to back off from that. Okay, so in this and other passages with, with the same structure, Jesus is moving us away from this single idea of, of simple obedience to kind of upward into a spiritual encounter with God. And so these are some resources that we have. Jesus teaching the spirit and the law of love, filtering things through the love of Jesus Christ that help us to determine how do I live these things out? Okay, so all that is set up for the rest of our series on commandments. So let's look at our first one today, and we'll have to kind of finish up a little bit next week. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 3 says this, And God spoke all these words, I'm the Lord your God, brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Have no other gods before me. So verse 2 really provides the motivation for us. It kind of lays a foundation for us assessing what's going on. And that's what God has done on our behalf, is that God rescues us from slavery. That God demonstrates his love first. And, and this becomes the lens through which we look at life. And it becomes the lens through which we view what God's telling us to do. We don't bristle up at God's commands because we know he loves us. We don't reject this lifestyle because we know what God has given for us, right? So it becomes this motivation for us. And God says, I am Yahweh, your God. It's not, hey, I'm God. Watch what I can do if you don't do this. You better do it because I am God. No, it's, I, I'm your God. L live into this because I, I desire a relationship with you. And I want your life to go well. So this isn't designed to be restrictive. It, it's just a way for us to live in this covenant relationship. And just as I delivered the Israelites from their bondage and slavery, haven't I already done that for you as well? Did you have any power to get out of the slavery of sin that Satan had you in? If you look at the Israelites, did they buy their way out? No. Did they think their way out? Not a clue. 400 years they sat there just powerless. Uh, did, did they work their way out? No, no. They were stuck, enslaved to their masters until God sent a deliverer. Isn't that our story as well? Amen, church, isn't it? That's our story. We were stuck in slavery, but God sent us to deliver. Not just Moses. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to be our redeemer, our rescuer. Notice that God didn't give the, the people ten commands and tell them, hey, all right, this is how it's going to be. If you and I are going to be in relationship, I want you to do this. And then if you do these well and put my plan into action, then I'm going to step in and get you out of Egypt. That's not how it works. And that's not how it works for us either, right? No, God says, let me demonstrate my love for you right now. And let me demonstrate how much I want to be with you, but give my only son. And then I want you to live in response to that. 
You know, every year since 1973, ABC has broadcast a Charlton Heston movie, Ten Commandments, except one year, 1999, they tried to move away from it, and there was a huge nationwide outcry against ABC, and they're like, fine, we'll put it back in. But it, it's not just out of duty or, or some charity they're doing it. What they also realized is, is man, it's a kind of a ratings bonanza that a lot of folks still tune in to watch this. I know it kind of dates us, but it's still part of relevant culture because people still watch it at Easter time. And so it's, it's pretty cool. But what's interesting is if you're watching this Ten Commandments movie, it's three hours and 40 minutes long three hours and 40 minutes long, when did the Ten Commandments come in? Well, it's, it's not till later. Cecil B. DeMille based the movie on the book, The Prince of Egypt. So it was supposed to be more about Pharaoh, but he said, no, this is more about God and his people. So he changed the title to the Ten Commandments. But the tablets of stone don't get cut into the rock to the very end. It, in fact, I was like nine before I actually got to see it because my kids and my parents keep made me go, you know, they're still stuck in Egypt, you know, until I was eight, you know. And so toward the end, that's where God comes in. And so the story was about what God did for his people and how much he cared for them to bring them out to then give them this covenant relationship. So God saves us first and then gives us instructions on how to live. God's like, I, I want you to realize those chains, they're gone. Now you can return and go put them back on, but let me give you some commands. Let, let me kind of set up some parameters that will help you live into this freedom. It, it's not exchanging one form of bondage for another. It's I'm cutting you loose here, but I want you to not return to the sin that, that so easily entangles us. Let's figure out what it means to live in the presence of God. So that's what these commands help us to do. Martin Luther believed that putting God first in life was crucial. And what he ended up saying is, before we start looking at the other nine, he goes, even though the ten are are more powerful than the other 603. He goes, you got to realize this first one is more important than the others. Because what happens is, if we get this God and us figured out, he goes, the rest of these are going to fall in line, aren't they? Here's just a little t uh, helpful tip. When I'm struggling with my fellow man, it's usually because this isn't going well. When I pushed off my time with God and started spilling out into other six commands. And so we need to realize these things are connected. But here's what Luther said. He said, a God is that to which we look for all good and which we find refuge in every time of need. To have God is nothing else than to trust and believe him with our whole heart. As I've often said, the trust and faith of the heart alone makes both God and idol. If your faith and trust are right, then your God is the true God. On the other hand, if your trust is false and wrong, then you have not the true God. For these two belong together, faith and God. That to which your heart clings and entrusts itself, I say, is really your God. I, 
I have a little uh, thing at the gym that I do that's uh, a little elliptical thing where the pedals go up and down. And, and so it's, it, it keeps you on the deal, but it also has a heart rhythm. And so uh, I guess that's kind of baked into the little paddles that, you know, it, it resonates on this. And then so, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll grab a towel to wipe off or I'll grab a water. Well, when I take my hand off, the machine goes, whoa, whoa, you've died. You have no more heart rate, Right. But isn't that kind of what happens? That when we reach for something other than God, we don't keep our hand on this. We're having to let go and grab a hold of something else. What Luther is saying is, don't get off on this. You need to realize, if you keep your hands here, you're not going to be able to, to venture out and break these other commands. This is what's crucial, church, is that we put God first. And these commands will fall in place after it. There's only one God. And his name is Yahweh. And he's your God. You know, we're kind of, uh, we understand this whole monotheistic thing. We need to realize how earth-shattering this was at the time. Because no other culture, no other people, and no other time says, so tell me about your gods. Well, we only have one. You have one? Yeah, but he can beat up all of yours, which we'll see next week with the Egyptians, right? You've only got one? Yeah, he handles everything. Well, what about the crops? Yeah, he's got that covered. What about fertility? Yeah, he does that too. And so everything gets put into one basket, our Heavenly Father, Yahweh. But this uh, man, it, it was just earth-shattering at the time, but he demands our total allegiance, and he demands our absolute dependence upon him. But here's where a lot of people get off track. They understand that, and they view God as a tyrant. God's demanding. Yeah, he's rescued me, but boy, he sure is demanding. If, if I can move you away from tyrant to another image, and this is going to sound weird, Think of God as not a tyrant, but a lover. He's a lover. Language is one of covenant, and you shall have no other. This is what is said in marriage ceremonies today, and back then as well. What God is inviting us into is not a uh, master-servant. It, it's a covenant. It, it's a love relationship that we have with someone that demonstrates his love. You know, sometimes when, when a couple's dating, you're like, well, should I say it first or should, but, you know, I don't know if he's ever going to say it. I better say it. You know. and, and so you go back and forth on this. God says, no, I, I'm going to tell you, I love you. I love you. And, and I want you to come into a relationship with me. I'm willing to give you my most precious possession. That's my son, Jesus, to show you how much I love you. But I want us to have a covenant, a covenant that cannot be broken, and a covenant that is exclusive. I don't want anyone to be able to look at your life and say, well, he's crazy about that. I want them to say he's crazy about God. She's crazy about Jesus. That is what their life is about. There's no confusion there. No one is wondering because that is their lover. That is that covenant relationship. And God says, I want an exclusive marriage with you in which we'll have no other. 
So God saved us. He loved us. And God says, don't bring another into our relationship. I want the nations around to see how much I'm blessing you so you can be a light into the nations. But if the nations are looking in going, okay, you say you've got one God, but you're also grabbing stuff here, grabbing stuff there. Why would I go worship this powerful God if you're grabbing other things? And I wonder if people in the marketplace are wondering that about us. Okay, yeah, it's important, but I'm also seeing some other things are also important. No, it needs to be very clear. Man, this is our one thing. So the first commandment sets the stage for others. You know, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 3, God says, I've rescued you. I loved you. And listen to the imagery that he describes. This powerful God. He said, I'm like an eagle that swoops in, put you under my wings, and brought you to myself. Just power and love brought in that God can rescue us from any situation. That he loves us beyond belief and he desires relationship. He'll swoop in and grab us and bring us because he wants this relationship. He says, I'm doing this not for my glory, but I'm doing this because I love you. We respond to God's glory, but God says, I want this relationship. I want you for myself. So God desires a special relationship with you and a special relationship with me. We're his people. And because we're his people, we view his commands differently. The psalmist tells us in Psalms 112 and verse 1 that I delight, I delight in the commands of God because I know how much he loves me. I know what he's done for me. I know how he's rescued me. He is my provider, my sole provider. He's the one I turn to. He's the one I pray to. He is the one that has demonstrated like mile markers on the, the highway of my life. I can point back, God was here. Well, God pulled me out here. I went through a long season, but God was there carrying me through this. God has been faithful. And so we delight in the commands of God because we yearn to be in the presence of God. We yearn to become more like his son Jesus because we don't want anything to remove us from the holiness of God's presence. And we want so desperately to draw closer to him as we rid ourselves over the course of our life. Any of the things, any of the commands that we break that would keep us from taking one step closer to our heavenly father. So the question for you this morning is, which way is your life walking? Are you walking closer to your Heavenly Father? My prayer for us this summer is that each of us will memorize these commands, that we'll write them upon our heart, that it becomes second nature, that we can just recite all ten, because they mean something to us. Our Heavenly Father means something to us, and we're reacting to what He's done in our lives And I hope that each one of us will recommit ourselves to this covenant relationship with God. But as we do every Sunday, we want to offer an invitation for those that haven't done this, that haven't said, I'm in with God. I want to join in that covenant relationship. And so we want to give you an opportunity. If you want to respond to the saving message of Jesus, God acts first. He just asks us to recognize that and say, I want Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. If you want to do that this morning, come now as we stand and as we sing.